You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Right now, though, I want to jump into a Bible study with you. Uh, We've got some amazing uh, scriptures to look at this morning. And so, uh, if you will, get your Bibles open. And the ushers are in the aisles. They'd love to give you a Bible if you need one. Find your way to John chapter 21. John 21. Before Christmas, we were in a series titled, The Questions Jesus Asked. And we're jumping back into that series this morning, Questions Jesus Asked. This is part six of that series. Jesus asked a lot of questions. Uh, There are over 580 questions that Jesus asked in in the Gospels. That's a lot of questions. And Jesus's questions were profound. They were probing. They were significant. And Jesus, when he asks questions, he never asks for his own benefit. He doesn't ask because he needs to learn something. When Jesus asks a question, it's because it's for us to learn. And his questions would cut to the very core of who we are. And it is wise for us to look at the questions Jesus asked because they are the same questions he is asking us today. And we've looked in this series some of the amazing questions that Jesus asked. Who do you say that I am? Great question. Uh, We looked at that. Uh, Here's another one. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and not consider the plank in your own eye? Great question. Why are you so judgmental? Uh, uh, And we looked at a bunch of these questions. Well, today we're looking at a question that is a profound question as well. And Jesus would ask, Do you love me? Do you love me? And what a great great way to start the year looking at this question of Jesus, do you love me? Uh, As we begin the new year, it is wise for us to realign and to strengthen ourselves on the core values of our faith. And may I remind you what the core values of our faith are. Well, uh, Jesus was asked one day by a lawyer. A lawyer, by the way, wasn't a person who practiced civil law, but religious law, or in other words, who devoted themselves, who had a PhD in studying the Bible. That's what a lawyer was in the Bible. And this individual comes to Jesus and says, hey, I'm a Bible student, man. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus, without hesitation, quoted the Shema. Everybody say Shema. Shema. You know what Shema means? It means hear. Hear, like hearing. Uh, And it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, right? Uh, And you shall love the Lord. Well, let's just read it. It's Matthew 22. Uh, Here it is on the screens. Let me hear you read verse 37. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Uh, Amazing. 
that we have a God who wants to be loved. Why? Because he loves us so much. And love only wants a genuine response. And he says, this is the great commandment, that you'd love me. How many of you have seen these mezuzahs that Jewish people put on their doors? And, and when they walk in, they kiss the little thing. You know what's in that mezuzah? The Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Uh, and Jesus would, would quote that. Uh, uh, let's read the second commandment as well. Uh, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. Yeah, the entire Bible is about loving God. It's about Jesus. It's about his love for us and us loving him back. Jesus would say, the volume of the book is written of me. Uh, he's in every page. And, and he says, and, and I love you. And what I want back from you is I want you to love me. Uh, look at, he says, verse 39. And the second is like it. It's just like the first commandment because God loves you. And God loves your neighbor. And if he loves your neighbor, he wants you to love your neighbor. And so this is the uh, good to see our, the, you know, just the, the importance of what Jesus wants from us as we begin this new year together. By the way, no other world religion has loving God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength as its core value. Uh, Hindus and Buddhists, uh, their main doctrines are the samsara, uh, which is the continuous cycle of life, death, and resurrection, or excuse me, reincarnation. And then karma, uh, which is the, the law of cause and effect, right? And that is their main dogma. We look at Islam, and Islam has the five pillars of Islam. Uh, they are reciting the shahada, which is saying there is no God but Allah and Muhammad, the messenger of God. And they chant this uh, incessantly uh, as part of their, their faith. Uh, they have the uh, Salat, which is prayer. They have to face Mecca five times a day on a rug and, and pray. Uh, they have the Zakat, which is uh, basically alms or tithing and, and doing good things like that. They have fasting and then the fifth one is the, the Hajj, which is where you have to go to Mecca one time, make a pilgrimage to Mecca one time in your, in your life. And, and so these are the five pillars of Islam. And these are the pillars of Hindus and Buddhists, the samsara and karma. But Jesus, the one whom all human history is moved by, all human history either points before him or after him. Your entire Bible, before him or after him. The greatest influencer, the greatest human that ever lived, he was God in the flesh. And he said, what is most important to me is that you would love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that you would love your neighbor as yourself. And for this, we crucified him. God became a man and dwelt among us. And he taught us to love God as the most important thing. And to love our neighbor. And to not look at the speck in your neighbor's eye when you got a plank in your eye. And for that, we crucified him. 
but it was his plan of salvation to pay the punishment of our sins that we might walk with him and, and be able to have his abounding grace pouring into our life. But how incredible to ponder that he loves us like that. And so we pick up our story in John chapter 21 uh, with this question, the question Jesus asked, here's the question, do you love me? Do you love me? And there is some depth in this chapter that we're going to see. Uh, the disciples are at the Sea of Galilee. It is Peter's hometown. And Peter is in serious trouble. I want you to remember that uh, Peter didn't know how all this was going to work out. And where Peter is right now is he's in serious trouble. His faith, his ministry, his, his spiritual health, his mental health are all in grave danger. Why? Well, because Peter has just denied Jesus three times. The last words that Jesus ever heard Peter say at the cross was Peter swearing and cursing, saying, I do not know him. And he gave out a few superlatives. I don't know the man. And Jesus had foretold that he would deny him three times. And he said, no way. I'll never deny you. I am a man of great faith. I love you. I will never deny you. And the Bible says that after he denied him the third time, the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered Jesus' words. And one of the Gospels tells us that he looks up and he made eye contact with Jesus after he denied him and cursed and said, I don't know him. And he broke down crying and left. And so this is where Peter is at. Peter is feeling like a failure. Peter is feeling worthless. Peter is feeling insignificant. And on top of all of his failures, he has this reality to deal with. The spiritual reality of the accuser of the brethren. Satan's accusations coming against him. The Bible tells us, Revelation tells us, he is the accuser of the brethren night and day. He just never stops accusing. And I know this is a reality because every time I blow it, I have to deal with those accusations. You call yourself a Christian? And you want to make it worse? I'm a pastor. You call yourself a pastor? And he wants us to think that our righteousness is of our own. And there's a lot to condemn if our righteousness is of our own. And so Peter is dealing with his own failures and with the spiritual reality of the accuser coming to him and saying, oh, you're, 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 you're worthless. And Peter's in grave danger. Jesus has disappointed Peter. Peter never dreamed that Jesus would be brutally murdered and crucified. Peter thought he'd be sitting on a throne and Jesus would be sitting on a throne and that Peter would be his right-hand man ruling and reigning over Israel and over all the world with Jesus. And, and Jesus disappointed Peter. And Peter disappointed Peter. Peter is so disappointed in himself. And so he's carrying all this weight and as a result, he's fatigued. 
And by fatigued, I mean in the strictest sense in the world, uh, in the word. Uh, when you have a fatigued board, it means that board is ready to snap. It's ready to break, right? Peter is fatigued. And it is in this wretched state of despair that Jesus comes to Peter in John chapter 21 to restore him and to build him. And so with that, let's open up our Bibles, John 21. Let's pray as we open God's word. Jesus, we are so thankful for your word. We are so thankful for this brand new year of life that you've given us. And that we can begin this brand new year of life worshiping you and looking to your word for wisdom and direction. For Lord, your word tells us, Psalm 119, the entrance of your word brings light. It brings wisdom to the simple. Lord, build us. Speak to us. Allow us to see you. We've come here to worship you, Lord. Help us to put away all our cares and distractions and to focus on you. And Lord, would you speak to us? personally and individually would you open our eyes lord to see your great love for us that we might know you and that we might love you back in return for we ask it in jesus name and all god's people said amen, amen. chapter 21 are you there after these things jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the sea of tiberias and in this way he showed himself simon peter Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee. Who are the sons of Zebedee? James and John, the author of this book. John would never write his own name, so he calls himself the sons of Zebedee, James and John. Uh, and two others of his disciples were together. Those two others were probably Andrew and Philip, and I'll tell you why in a little bit, uh, if I don't forget uh, and verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we are going with you. And they went out immediately, got into a boat. And that night they caught nothing, nada. Uh, let's pause here for a moment. Uh, this is deeper than it looks on the surface. And you need to understand some of the things that are happening here. When Peter says, I'm going fishing, he's not saying, hey, I'm going to go fishing for fun. Like, you want to come? Uh, he's saying, I'm returning to my fishing business. I'm going back to my business that I had before Jesus came. This did not turn out the way I thought it would. Uh, we're going to learn, this is the, Jesus is going to appear to them. It's the third time Jesus appears. Peter knows Jesus resurrected. On the very first day uh, of the week, Sunday, uh, the, the third day after Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus appeared to the disciples and to Peter. But it was a brief appearance. Eight days later, on the eighth day, Jesus appeared again. Thomas wasn't in that first appearing. And Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless I can see the nail prints in his hands. And so Jesus appeared again on the eighth day and said, Peter, I mean, Thomas, here's my hands, touch them. Uh, and, and Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Recognizing Jesus' divinity. 
And Jesus says, Thomas, because you saw my handprints, you believe? Blessed are those who believe without seeing, right? And, and, and so, but each of these were relatively brief encounters. And Peter is struggling with all of his failure, with all of the things that are weighing heavy on him. He's fatigued. And he's got to provide for his family. He's a married man. And it's now been, I don't know, 10 days maybe? I don't know. And he says, I'm going fishing. Uh, we know that uh, uh, by the Greek, uh, he's not just saying, I'm going to go fishing for the day. We know he's returning to his old, old life. By the way, Jesus prophesied this would happen. I have uh, John 16 uh, is a verse. Let me hear you read this, church. Uh, indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come that you will be scattered each to his own path and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. What did Jesus prophesy? He said, all of you are going to leave me and you're going to go back to your old life. If we read John chapter 20, there are words there, especially in the Greek, that show Peter, each of them, all of them, were returning to their old ways. And so Peter says, I'm going fishing, and they all go together with him. Uh, very interesting, by the way. Where did this take place? In verse 1, it says, at the Sea of Tiberias. The Sea of Tiberias is the Sea of Galilee. Jesus called it the Sea of Galilee. Tiberias is the Roman pagan name for the same sea. It's the unbeliever's name for the same sea. And they go fishing in the Sea of Tiberias. I believe there's some significance there. And of course, that night, they caught nothing. We see in Peter's life this struggle taking place. Am I going to have... A self-directed life or am I going to have a God-directed life? And in all of this, there's an ongoing struggle taking place, the same struggle of a God-directed life or of a self-directed life. Every single one of us has this struggle. Am I going to do things God's way or am I going to do it my way? Well, I haven't been baptized, but I don't know if I'm going to get baptized I'll think about it. Why, what? Excuse me? I'm going to do it my way. Yeah, we all have this struggle going on. Does Jesus have authority of my life? Or do I have authority of my life? Who is in control? The reality is, is that Jesus wants to lead us. He wants to lead, guide, and direct us into amazing things. On Christmas Eve, we looked at, we have a small vision for our life, but God has a big vision for our life. But in order for that to happen, I have to surrender my will to his will. God's big vision for my life, for your life, cannot happen if I'm in control of my life, if it's a self-directed life. But if I will surrender and have a God-directed life, God's vision for my life can come. Peter is at a spot where he is coming back and he is taking over control of his own life, a self-directed life. 
In order for God to lead me, I have to give him the authority, which was what it means to call him Lord, by the way. Lord means he's my boss. And what he says is what I do. Uh, the problem is I'm a selfish man who loves comfort, who loves control, who loves doing what I want to do, who loves gratifying my own flesh. And therefore, there's this ongoing struggle. Am I going to lead a God-directed life or a self-directed life? And we all make this decision every single day. You can't tell me, oh, I gave my life to the Lord 20 years ago. Big deal. Are you giving your life to the Lord today? And one of the best things we can do is wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I want to give my life to you. How do you want to use me today? Peter decides to rebel against Jesus' authority by taking control of his own life. I'm going back to my fishing business. Peter, wait a minute. Jesus called you to be his disciple. Jesus called you to build his church, to tell others about all the things he's poured into you, to show the world the love of Jesus and the wisdom of his word. And you're going fishing? Why? Well, I got bills to pay and I got to move forward. And I don't know what's going to happen on it. And I want you to know there are times when it's harder for us to let God direct our life. There are times when it's harder than others to let God direct our life. And this is especially true when we don't like or we don't understand what God is doing in our life. When there's uncertainty in our life. When something happens and we don't like it, like I never thought that would happen. Talked with a man after a first service, and he said, my, my wife left me. Never thought that would happen. And it's during these times, maybe when we lose a job, or when we go to the doctor and we're diagnosed with an illness, and we're like, oh my gosh. Or when something that we have been wanting doesn't, just explodes in front of us, and we're like, what the heck? There are times when it is harder to allow God to be the one who is directing our life. And the disciples are in that place right now. Things have not turned out like they thought. Jesus isn't there. He's been providing for them. They haven't worked the last three years. And now what do we do? We got to earn a living. Got to make some money. And it's easy to let Jesus direct your life when everything's going your way. But when things aren't going your way is when faith comes in and we have to go, well, I still let Jesus direct my life. I remember when my kids were little, it was easy obeying dad when dad said, hey, let's go get a Slurpee. Yeah. Let's wrestle mania. <laughs> boom, boom. Oh, you know, that was fun obeying dad. But when dad said, hey, let's do chores. Oh, Dad, I was just going skating with Marcus. Uh, harder to let dad lead their life when there's got other things you want to do. And just like it's true for a child, so it's true for us. I want you to notice, as Peter goes back to his old life, 
He is making himself the Lord of his own life. It was easy to follow Jesus when everything was going well. Like amazing teaching. Oh my gosh. Life-giving words. And when Jesus spoke, man, it just moved me. It was like he was speaking to me. And oh, and when he looked at me, I just knew that he knew me. And I've never been loved like that. And all the miracles, oh my gosh, the miracles. Uh, It seemed like we were just in awe all the time of what Jesus would do. I remember the widow of Maine. When we were walking along and here comes this funeral procession. And this widow, she, her only son. And Jesus stopped the funeral. And came to the casket. And he raised her son out of the casket. Gave him life. I remember the lame. That had never walked. And he healed them. And they walked. I remember the blind who never saw. And he spoke. And they saw. And oh it was easy to follow Jesus when he was speaking to my heart. When his words were giving me life. And when I saw him doing these powerful things. And and man the crowds. The crowds were big. And every day it got bigger. And more followers. And we had purpose man. There was a lot to do. But all that stopped. And now I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with my life. I think I'll just go fishing. And Peter goes back to his old life. And I want you to know, subconsciously, he is denying the lordship of Jesus Christ in his life. I don't think he made a conscious decision to say, I'm not going to have Jesus be Lord. And I want you to know, we do the same things. We don't make a conscious decision, but every time we pick up and say, I'm going to direct my life myself, we are subconsciously saying, I'll be Lord of my life. And Peter was doing that. And what's amazing is he takes six of the other disciples with him. How many disciples were there? Apostles, I should say. How many were there? Twelve. And one was Judas. So how many are there? Eleven. And now there's six others with Peter. How many is that? That's seven. Seven out of eleven of the guys that Jesus called to be his disciples are now going back to the fishing business. By the way, interesting to note, uh, Luke 5.10 tells us that uh, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, they were in a fishing business with Peter before Jesus ever met them. And now they're going back to the fishing business with Peter after Jesus has died on the cross. Along with now seven of the 11 disciples. That might be a problem. And Jesus comes and, and, and says, hey, hey, wait, wait. Let's, he's going to rewrite this thing. It's interesting that Peter is leading all this. We all have been given spiritual gifts by God. Different abilities, different talents. Peter's was leadership. He was just a leader. Uh, I have four children. Each of my kids, very different gifts. And I can see those gifts clearly in them. 
We have a choice with how we use the gifts God's given us. Are we going to use our, the gifts God's given us to build my kingdom or to build Jesus's kingdom? For my glory or for the work of the ministry for Jesus's glory to build others? I shared with you on Christmas as we were talking about spiritual gifts. God gives, Jesus gives spiritual gifts very differently than how we give gifts. Uh, I, give, I give you a shirt and I say, hey, this shirt's for you. I hope you like it. I hope you look good in this shirt. And here's your gift. You're welcome. Jesus gives gifts entirely differently. He says, here's a gift of leadership. It's not for you. It's for everybody else. Here's the gift of compassion. It's not for you. It's for everybody else. I hope you use it well. Peter was gifted by God and he's taking the gift and what is he doing with it? Using it for himself. What are you doing with the gifts and talents God has given you? I thought of uh, these people in the world who are so uber talented. Uh, Taylor Swift seems to be in the news a lot right now making billions on her Eros tour. And I thought, what if she used those gifts to the glory of God? She's written, I don't know, I'm not a, I'm not a Swifty, but she's written, <laughs> she's written like 58 songs or 88 songs or something, I don't know, and, and, and you know, making billions. What if she was using that gift to write songs for the church? How are you using the gifts God's given you? I look at C.S. Lewis, uh, uh, my, one of my New Year's resolutions was uh, get back into reading more books. And so I started about a month ago, uh, and I've got a little jump on it, and I'm rereading some of the, just, I love, C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, and I'm, so I'm rereading some of his books right now, and, and, and I'm so thankful C.S. Lewis used his gift of, of wisdom and discernment and his, his great oration skills for the kingdom. Because instead of saying, this little spandex suit looks so good on me. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, no, 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 no. These, these books will help you so much. These talks will help you so much. Uh, how are you doing what God has given you? Jesus gives us amazing freedoms, doesn't he, when he gives you gifts? Here's a gift. And you can use it however you want. You can have a God-directed life or you can have a self-directed life. I'm amazed at the freedom Jesus gives us. How are you using the gifts Jesus gave you? Peter was using it to get all, all his leadership gifting to start rebuilding his fishing business. And he get James and John to be partners in business. And he's got Philip and Andrew. I think it's Philip and Andrew because Philip and Andrew were both fishermen before as well. And, and, and he's got seven of the 11 guys there back, going back. Uh, and I want you to know something. Uh, what did they catch all night long? Nothing. And here's why. A self-directed life always leads to futility. A self-directed life always leads to futility. They fished all night and they caught nothing. Look at verse 4. But when the morning now <clears throat> had now come, Jesus stood on the shore and yet none of the disciples knew that it was Jesus. That's kind of strange, is it not? That's really strange. And Jesus said to them, children, have you have any food? Have you any food? Did you catch anything? And they answered. Yeah, they answered just like you did. 
No. What was that? Do you have any food? No. I can't hear you. No, okay, no. I've been fishing all night long and I've caught nothing. Do you know why? Because God's hand was in this. And a self-directed life always leads to futility. Always. We fished all night. We've caught nothing. And I want you to know that a self-directed man will always end up empty and unfulfilled. It doesn't matter what you're looking for in life. If you're steering your own ship, you are going to be empty and unsatisfied at the end of your fishing trip. I guarantee it. Search for significance. Climb the corporate ladder. Build the largest business. Get the big house. Be a social justice warrior. Unless Jesus is Lord of your life, you will come up empty. I guarantee it. You may labor for 20, 30, or 40 years. You may make a lot of money, but one day you will wake up and discover your nets are empty. And I can tell you firsthand, I have seen it in my own life before I came to Christ. I had a business that was pretty successful for a young man, and I saw the futility of it. Not only have I experienced it in my own life, but I have experienced it in the lives of countless others. Who have everything as far as the world is concerned. And have nothing as far as life is concerned. And you want to talk about futility. And you want to talk about having your head hang low and say, no, I've been fishing all night long. How long have you been? All night. Oh, that's a long day. What'd you catch? Nothing, nothing. What was that? Nothing. I believe the Bible is giving us a time-lapse picture here in John 21 of showing us what happens in the course of life. You've seen those time-lapse photos? You know, you watch a plant go from little seed into a big tree and just like, Three minutes, you watch. I think that's what's happening here in John chapter 21. Jesus is doing it for us, saying, Hey, listen, I don't want you to waste your life. And if you have a self directed life, you will come up empty. But if you let me lead your life, you'll have abundance. I want you to know we will either be controlled by Satan, by self, or by God. If we are controlled by Satan, we will have a life of slavery, addiction, bondage. If we're controlled by self, we will have a life of futility. But if we are controlled by God, we will have a life of victory and abundance. The choice is ours. Jesus would say, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? C.S. Lewis said, God cannot give us joy and peace apart from himself. Why? Because it's not there. He can't give you something that doesn't exist. There is no such thing as a rich and meaningful, abounding life apart from him. Because you were created for him. And he can't give you something that doesn't exist. 
A self-directed life will always lead to futility, but I want you to know life is found when we love Jesus and we surrender our will to follow his. Amazing. As I mentioned, I believe this is a time-lapse picture of what life looks like so we don't waste our life learning this important lesson. There is a unexpected paradox here uh, that I think is very interesting to look at. Jesus is there. He's calling them from the shore. We would never expect this to happen. If man wrote the Bible, this wouldn't be there, right? Like Jesus is standing on the shore and his disciples, his most intimate friends, the ones he's invested, they don't even recognize him. And if man was writing the book, we would not write it this way. But I believe there's a, a, a spiritual law that is revealed here, a strange, unexpected spiritual paradox that the self-directed man cannot perceive that Jesus is calling him. They're on their own path. Jesus is on the shore calling to them. But they can't receive it. They don't know it's him. And I want you to know the Bible is very clear on this. It teaches that apart from Jesus, man is spiritually blind. Man is spiritually deaf. Man is spiritually dead. And that's why we must be born again. I have people tell me when, you know, when I'm a Christian, they say, oh, you're not one of those born again types, are you? And you know what I always say? There is no other kind. <laughs> you're either born again or you're not a Christian because you're spiritually dead. Spiritually dead doesn't mean you don't exist. It means that you are separated from God. You are in, you're not able to discern any of his words to you. Uh, you're, you're separated from him. And apart from Jesus Christ, a man is spiritually dead. I know right now in a group this big, Jesus is calling some of you right now. He's calling you. But unless you surrender your will to his, you will not hear his voice. And if you have a self-directed life, you will not hear his voice. You will just, you'll just miss his calling, not even recognizing it was him calling you. Paul would teach the same things. That a spirit, unless we're born again, we can't hear, we can't see, we're spiritually dead. Paul would say it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me hear you read this, church. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is only veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Paul clearly says Jesus is the image of God. God is a spirit. But God became a man, and Jesus is the image of God. And unless uh, we come to him, uh, we'll be veiled. We can't, we're, we're blind. We're spiritually dead. Spiritual birth and eternal life are a gift that Jesus wants to give all of us. But it requires that we, we surrender our life to him. 
It requires that we say in our heart, Jesus, I believe that you're God. And I believe that you died on the cross to take the punishment of my sins. And the moment that we do that, that I believe that you love me that much and that you, you came to, so I don't have to be eternally separated from you, that I can be in a relationship with you. God, I want to know you. I want to, I want, if you love me like that, I want to know you. And the moment that we do that, Jesus gives the ability, the power to be born again spiritually and to see spiritual things and to hear spiritual truths and to live a, a, an eternal life together with him. It's a work of God. And baptism is such a picture of that, man. The old man done away with a brand new life in Jesus Christ. But until that happens, we're spiritually dead. And we can't even perceive him if he's standing on the shore speaking to us. I find it amazing that there were religious leaders who wouldn't submit their will to God. And they had God standing in front of them. And they were attacking him. They thought the problem was him. That's how blind we are. Mind-boggling. Why? Because God said the path is you need salvation for your sin. And they said, no, I don't. I'm righteous. Your path, not God's path. The self-directed man cannot perceive Jesus is calling him. He's blind to it. But a life surrendered to Jesus' direction leads to an amazing abundance. Look at what happens here in verse 6. This is so cool. They don't recognize Jesus. <clears throat> They're blind to him. Verse 6. <clears throat> he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some fish. He just asked them, you guys been fishing all night? Yeah, all night. What time did you start? Uh, yesterday at such and such time. You've been fishing all night? You haven't caught anything? No. I got an idea. Cast your net on the other side of the boat, and you'll find some. Now, how wide was that boat? Eight feet wide, maybe? These are experienced fishermen. Cast your net on the other side of the boat. What difference does it make? Do you know how big the Sea of Galilee is? It's like, it's a sea. Uh, I've been on it. It's, it's big. Uh, it doesn't make a difference. My net is a honking big net. It doesn't make a bit, bit of difference if I put the net on this side or this side in this giant sea, right? Uh, but they had heard Jesus tell them this before. When Peter first met Jesus, Jesus told him this. And something triggered within them. Cast your net on the other side of the boat, the right side of the boat, and you'll find some metaphorical uh, right side. Uh, so they cast. Quit steering your own life. Let me lead your life. So they cast, and they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Can I tell you something? Jesus is a sovereign king. He is king over every single thing. He is king over fish that swim into the net or fish that swim away from the net. He is king over the widgets that your factory makes 
And he is king over every single detail in life. Jesus kept all the fish out of that net. And Jesus just told all the fish, I want every fish in this sea to go into that net. And he's showing his sovereignty so that they will recognize him. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, uh, who's that? That's John. He doesn't use his own name, right? Called himself sons of Zebedee earlier. Now he says the disciple that Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it and he plunged into the sea. (laughs) This is so awesome. Peter just grabs his coat and jumps in. Jesus here. Wait a minute, Peter. Wait a minute. What about your fishing business? What about all everything you've been searching for is now here? You got the fish. What about the fish, Peter? I don't care about any of that, man. Jesus is here. And he jumps into the water and he swims, man. It's, it's like amazing. Verse 8, the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land, about 200 cubits. Here we see how far... Peter had to swim uh, 200 cubits is about 300 feet, about 100 yards. He got to swim 100 yards to Jesus. Uh, and, and the other guys come. They're dragging the net with fish. They couldn't even get the net into the boat. There were so many fish in it. So they're just dragging it by the side of the boat. What a great picture. Verse 9. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there. And what's on it? And fish laid on it. And bread. What were they looking for all night long? Fish. What does Jesus already have? Fish. I want you to know something. Jesus has everything that you are searching for. Everything. And uh, you're, you're a young man here this morning. You're, you're in your 20s. You go, not me, man. Jesus doesn't have everything I'm fishing for. I'm, 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 I'm looking for sex. That's what, my, that's what I'm interested in. I want you to know, yes, he does. Jesus has everything you are searching for. You do it God's way, and you will have the best sex life you could ever possibly have. You do it your way, and you will have heartbreak and sorrow. You do it God's way, you will have everything, man. You are looking for purpose in life. You do it God's way, you will find purpose in life. You're looking for love, you do it God's way. Jesus has everything you are searching for. Are you confused? You lost? Are you foolish? Uh, Come to Jesus. He is the author of wisdom. He is wisdom. I'm thinking of Psalm 119. The entrance of your word brings light. It brings wisdom to the foolish. Jesus has everything that you're searching for, and he's already had it, right? Uh, The fish is already there. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, now bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Does Jesus need their fish? No. You know what Jesus is doing? Jesus is inviting them into full fellowship with him. Peter, I'm not surprised that you sinned. Peter, I'm not surprised that you blew it. Peter, I'm not surprised that you, you messed everything up so bad it's unbelievable. Peter, I'm not surprised at all. I know you. 
and I love you. And that's why I went to the cross for you, Peter. I knew you were messed up. That's why I went to the cross for you. Now, Peter, bring what you have and bring it in with what I have and let's have fellowship together. Let's do this together, Peter. And this is what Jesus wants to do in our life. I am, I'm so thrilled by this. Do you think Jesus needs me preaching sermons? Not at all. But he says, hey, bring some of the stinky fish that you have and, and watch what I can do with it if you bring it to me, right? Uh, and, and he loves partnering with us. Verse 11, so Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Uh, I find this cool. Uh, who cares how many fish were there? Who cares? 153. You know who cares? An eyewitness account who happens to be a fisherman. Only an eyewitness who was actually there, who happened to be a fisherman, would give details like there were 153 fish. I counted them. And the net didn't break. I'm a fisherman. Now that's unusual, right? Like, uh, very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, what was Jesus doing? Why 153 fish? You see, Peter, why was, what was he doing? Why was he sinning? Why was he taking control of his life? Because I've got to what? I've got to provide for my family. And Jesus isn't here anymore. Peter, I'm still going to provide for you. I'm still going to take care of you. I'm still going to provide everything you need. Here's a mother load. You're going to, do, you're going to have a good paycheck this month. I'm amazed at how Jesus provides. Uh, church, I'm, I'm so proud of you. I mean, all, we gave toys to every kid that came on Christmas. You know what happened on Christmas Day? We had a, a local family who has a toy company, and they donate a lot of toys. And, and then on Christmas Day, we get the strangest phone call. Christmas Eve, about 3 in the afternoon, we had, we had 1,100 people here at our Christmas Eve services. And we had promised toys for everybody. Well, we didn't think there were going to be 1,100 people. <laughs> About 3 p.m., we get a phone call. Hey, I'm a Toys for Tots guy. We got a bunch of extra toys. By any chance, would you guys need some toys? <laughs> Just so happens we do. Yeah. <laughs> Brings the toys. Stays for church. <laughs> I think they're going to become members. <laughs> Crazy, right? Uh, look at how he works. Uh, just amazing. Peter, Peter, I'm still going to take care of you. I'm not less Lord of your life just because now I've died on the cross. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to do all these things. Uh, <clears throat> this is only for you Bible nerds. Everybody else can tune out just for 15 seconds. If you're a Bible nerd, there's something very interesting. Jesus told him, put cast your net singular on the right side. And they do. And there's 153 fish and the net does not break. Peter would remember, I, this happened when I met Jesus. When he met Jesus, Jesus said, hey, can I borrow your boat? Why? Because there's a great multitude gathering around. I can get out on sea and everybody can hear me if I'm in your boat. So he takes Peter's boat, goes out in the sea, and preaches from a sermon from the boat. 
Comes back in and says, hey, thanks for the boat. By the way, go back out and cast your net. He says, we've been fishing all night. We have all day. We haven't caught anything. Uh, go out and cast your nets, plural. Peter says, uh, all right, begrudgingly. And he goes out, and the Bible tells us he doesn't cast the nets. He cast a net. And there were so many fish in that net that the net began to break. He told him to cast what? Nets, plural. Uh, just a tidbit for you Bible geeks. Uh, here he says one net, and the net doesn't break even though it's so full. Uh, do things God ways, and, and nothing breaks, by the way. Uh, verse 12. <laughs> Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Breakfast with Jesus. Can you imagine? The resurrected Messiah, the creator of the universe, standing in before them, resurrected body. Uh, Come and eat breakfast with me. Come and dine with me. Yet none of the disciples dare ask, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? They were shocked, man. They never expected Jesus' death and resurrection. Even though he told them it was going to happen over and over and over again, they never expected it. And here they are eating breakfast. They're like, this is crazy, man. I, I saw him when he resurrected. I mean, he, he, you know, he said, put your fingers in my... But I didn't know he'd eat fish. I didn't know he'd eat breakfast. And they're just blown away, Right? Verse 13, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. And they're dining together. He's having fellowship with them. This is the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. They're still figuring it all out. Oh, my gosh, he eats fish, man. He's, a, he's, he's, really, he's really alive. Uh, the first time was on Sunday. Uh, the disciples were hiding in fear, and Jesus appeared to them. Thomas wasn't there. Eight days later, Thomas, he appears again with them. And now it's the third time. And, and now he's got a full-blown meal with them, right? Verse 15. Now Jesus is going to redirect them because they're, they're going into a fishing business. Verse 15. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Hey, Simon, son of Jonah, here's our verse. Here's our question Jesus asked. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? What are the these? The Bible doesn't tell us. Do you know why it doesn't tell us? Because it really doesn't matter. If there is anything that you love more than Jesus, then Jesus isn't the Lord of your life. That other thing is. If Jesus isn't Lord over all, Jesus isn't Lord at all. And the question Jesus wants to ask each of us, do you love me more than these? What's your these? Do you love me more than your kids? Do you love me more than your business? Do you, have, do you love me more than your physical appearance? Do you love me more than being in control? Do you love me more than these? Maybe for Peter, it was his declaration to become a fisherman again. Maybe that's what the these was. 
Maybe it was all the fish that he just, the big paycheck he had just got from Jesus. Maybe it was all the other disciples that were sitting with Peter. Do you love me more than these? Because the old Peter would have said, I am the amazing Peter and I love you amazingly. And even if all these knuckleheads blow it, I will never blow it. And Peter has been humbled. And look what Peter says. Jesus uses the word, by the way, do you agape me? Agape is a selfless love. It is a love that is uncaused by the recipient. It is a a love that God has for us. Do you agape me? Jesus would say. And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. The word that Peter answered was with phileo. Uh, Phileo is uh, more of what we would call like. Uh, Phileo is based on common interest. You like pickleball? I like pickleball. Let's play pickleball. Let's hang out. Uh, That's a phileo kind of love. Peter would not answer, I agape you. Peter answered, I phileo you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. It's amazing to me that Jesus wants our love. That Jesus finds our love valuable. That Jesus would be asking for our love. The creator of the universe asking for our love. Seems preposterous. Uh, Jesus loves us with a pursuing love. It is the purest love that can ever be known. It is a merciful love. It is a selflessly given love. It is a love uh, that should so radically touch our hearts that we say, I'm in awe of your love for me. And I want you to know, love only wants one thing, a genuine response. Are you aware of how much I love you? And has it touched your heart? We know the Bible tells us, 1 John tells us, the author of this gospel tells us, we love him because he first loved us. He's the initiator of, of that love. But he wants us to respond to it. And he wants us to respond to it with a love back for him. Peter, I loved you first. I created you. I chose you. I'm the one who gave you all of your unique gifts and abilities and talents and also your liabilities and your weird quirks. I made you, Peter. And I've called you to myself and I've taught you and I've provided for you and I went to the cross for you. Now here's the question, Peter. Has my love touched your heart? Will you surrender your life to me, Peter? Do you love me more than these? I think of that song, to keep his lovely face ever before my eyes. This is my prayer. Now, Lord, make it my strong desire that in that secret place, no other love prevails. No rival throne survives, and I serve only you. Great prayer. Great worship song. This is what he's looking for. Peter, do you love me more than these? Jesus continues his restorative dialogue with Peter. Let's look at verse 16. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? Do you love me? 
And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I phileo you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Again, for you Bible scholars, I, I, I probably am folly giving you this, but uh, I'll do it quickly. It really interests me. You'll notice that not only is the word love different in the Greek, agape and, and phileo, but you'll notice here the word for the sheep is also a different word. In verse 15, he says, feed my lambs. That's a very unusual word, arnion, in the Greek. A very arnion, a very unusual word for lambs, for a sheep. The normal word for a sheep was probaton. And he uses the word arnion the first time. And here, the second time, he says, tend my sheep. And he uses the word probaton. It's interesting, the word arnion is used 30 times in the New Testament. All of them, 29 of them in the book of Revelation. Only one time outside of the book of Revelation is the word arnion used. And it happens to be right here where Jesus says, feed my lambs. Uh, Arnion. Uh, well, how is it used in the book of Revelation? Well, here's a verse for you to show you how it's used. This is how Arnion is used every time in the book of Revelation. In the Bible, I should say. It's used 30 times, 29 in Revelation. Here's how it's used. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Who's that? <laughs> Worthy is the Arnion to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Every time in the book of Revelation that it uses the word arnion, it's used to refer to Jesus. And here's what Jesus is saying. If you're a geek like me to dig, dig things out, he's saying, when you feed my people, you're actually feeding me. Jesus said the exact same words. Inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these, even a cup of cold water in my name, you've done it to me. And if you love me, you're going to care about my kids. I want you to know as a dad, four kids, you want to love me? Be good to my kids. Be good to my wife. I will love you. And anyway, back to our study. Uh, verse 16. He tells him the second time, uh, Peter answers, uh, I, I flail you. And he says, feed my, tend my sheep. Verse 17. He says to them the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Only this time Jesus changes the word. Instead of using agape, Jesus uses phileo. You could maybe translate it this way. Each time Jesus was saying, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me? And Peter answered, I like you. Jesus asked again a second time, do you love me? And Peter said, I like you. Now the third time Jesus says, Peter, do you even like me? Do you like me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you like me? Do you love me? Phileo me. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Uh, Peter, I want to use your life. And here we see Peter is now humbled. He now doesn't think his love is so amazing. He won't even profess agape love to God because he knows he's a sinner. You know, and that is a good place to be. I don't stand before you in my greatness. I stand before you in the love of God for you. I stand before you in his greatness for you. And look what he says. This is interesting. Uh, 
gosh, we got to wrap up. How do I do this? Um, well, again, uh, feed my sheep. Uh, Jesus is reminding Peter, Peter, I have big plans for your life. I have called you. I have loved you. I have taught you. I've equipped you to be a fisher of men. Why are you going back to being a businessman, fisher of fish? Now, for all you businessmen here, there's nothing wrong with that. But I want you to know that is not your primary ministry. You don't all have to be a a pastor, uh, but you are all called by God to use all of your gifts to the glory of God to be a builder of men. And men, if you come to men's ministry, here's what we're all about. It's our men's ministry manifesto. To embrace the call of God upon our life. Number two, to be builders of men. Number three, you can come back Tuesday night. (laughs) And listen, if you're here today, God wants to use your life to be a builder of his kingdom. Who's in control of your life? Who's calling the shots? Do you love me? And do you love me more than these? I want you to know something. Peter was touching the sublime. The creator of the universe wants to use me to nourish and to build his people. How can this be? Peter was touching something so much greater than his own self. It's like, I'm so frail. I'm so flawed. I just denied you three times. And yet you still love me the same? You still have the same plans for me? You're willing to forgive me and just say, my grace will cover you? Who does that? And here we see Peter is still learning, even though he's got this intimate relationship, he's still learning the depths of Jesus' love. And I love that. And it is only when we finally understand how holy Jesus is and how selfish and corrupt I am, then and only then do we surrender our stubborn will to his great will. Maybe you're here this morning and you have not made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Do you want a self-directed life or do you want a God-directed life? And here's the question. Do you love me? Do you understand my great love for you? I'm going to ask the man to pass out the elements for communion. And this is the message of love. This shows just how much I love you. Uh, I want you to see what a powerful, powerful life that Jesus gives when we surrender our life to him. Peter, I want to use you. I want to use your life to build the church. Peter's life touched multitudes. Peter is touching the sublime. And so are you. Do you understand it? It's bigger than you. Will you submit to it? It is great to touch the sublime. To come and to see a mountain range that is just majestic. It is then that we realize how small we are and how important we are in the eyes of God. And a life surrendered to Jesus is an incredibly powerful life. Look at how Jesus used Peter. And he wants to do the same for you. Peter planted churches in Antioch and in Rome and other other places and he healed multitudes and 
Multitudes were transformed by how Jesus used Peter's life. And it all starts here at the cross of Jesus. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.